Welcome to Be On The Shop Floor podcast. My name is Ange, an original career retailer. I am your host and here to help you unlock the secret universe of retail career success, starting right here on the shop floor and beyond. We are all about championing career pathways from retail through to head office, advocating for the amazing talent in the industry and shining a light on opportunities in the retail industry. Because with a global net worth of US $24 trillion, the retail industry is a thriving one that deserves our attention and all of the accolades. I am a fashion and luxury recruitment expert and career coach who is on a mission to encourage all retailers to wave that flag high and proud. Join us as we chat all things recruitment and career and interview some of the most aspirational talent in the industry. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Be On The Shop Floor podcast. My name is Ange. I'm your host and founder of The Talent Mill. So episode eight is here and today I am loving the topic. We are chatting to the wonderful, talented, epic Caroline Marvelli. Thank you so much for your feedback on the previous episode. It was wonderful. I know so many of you got so much out of the interview tips that we released how to prepare for your interview. Hopefully, you'll be taking that forward with you. So yes, we're chatting to Caroline today. Caroline has had an extensive background in production roles. She's currently the head of sourcing and production at Lee Wrangler and Riders. She's owned her own business and worked for amazing brands here in Melbourne. Caro is a true expert in sourcing and production. She gives us a real lens, I suppose, for what pathways are available to design grads if they explore a career in creative design and decide, mm, yeah, no, nah, this isn't for me. What other pathways are available to you? You can start to learn about the skill set and attributes that you might naturally possess that will give you an insight into how you could transition into a career in production. We love to see it. As always, likes, shares, subscribes, comments, they all go a long way. If you can do me just one favor today, it would be to share this episode with someone that you know would benefit. We love to see everyone spreading the word. So, okay, that's it from us today. Let's dive in and start chatting to Caro. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> So, of course, today we have Caroline, who is a production expert. I'm calling you an expert because you are. Wow. Um, love that. <laughs> Hope I can live up to it. <laughs> I think you might. Okay, but tell us a little bit about you. Like, what are you doing at the moment? Tell us about your background. Like, how did you get into production, et cetera? Absolutely. At the moment, um, I'm working for the True Alliance Group mm. and I'm working for their denim teams. So I'm looking after Lee Jeans, Wrangler and Levi Riders. They're amazing brands, heritage brands. I think pretty much everyone in the market um, has owned a pair of their jeans at some point in their life. True. Um, I'm heading up the production team. So I work on sourcing and production. Um, a big part of my role um, is managing uh, the critical path from PPS um through to bulk delivery um and what is pps for our listeners is a uh, pps it's a pre-production <laughs> sample so once we've we've sold it to our amazing retailers and and we're good to go into production um mm -hmm. the the garment or the product i guess the skew arrives to me and mm -hmm. um, i start the negotiation with the factory on the price we work on the critical path 
Um, we work on the handover date and, you know, part of my role is to manage our internal team and our supply base mm. to ensure that it arrives on time. Um, mm -hmm. A massive part of my role as well is working on compliance and sustainability. Um, mm. Those two those two words are absolutely um, critical um, to our to our product. We we have um, we have huge compliance with our factories, and then we also have um, sustainability that comes in. So, I guess making sure that you know our mix of product, um, we do have organics and recycled cottons. That we we're doing everything we can, you know, to to hit mm. our sustainability goals once we um, once we go to bulk. Mm. Um, let me tell you, what else do I do? Pretty much um, manage all the vendor relationships. So I'm mm. constantly chatting, chat, chat, chatting, <laughs> finding out what's going in the factory, finding out what the delays are, you know, getting the demo yeah. and really building those relationships um, and securing securing the business, um, I guess, the business between us just to ensure yeah. that, you know, we're absolutely a priority um, and that, you know, if there's any issues coming up that we kind of, we we work them out quickly so that we can keep keep everything on track. Mm. And you've done that for like quite a lot of businesses. Like tell us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay. absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've done it for my own business. Um, I've done it in an activewear business. Mm. My my first role was a production assistant. So, um, you know, it's really interesting where you land in your career. Um, mm. And I guess where you're where you kind of what you think that you might be and then what you actually end up doing and what your skills, um, you know, where they where they lie and your strengths. It's really yeah. interesting that to me that I've ended up in production because, you know, always started off, started off wanting to be a stylist, a designer, um, a buyer. And, you know, I guess I've really, really done the full circle, you know, a developer back to production. But I think, you know, having an understanding of all of those roles really, really helps you um, understand how to get the best product and, and shortcuts yeah. and, and the things that you can do to get to get price, to get delivery, um, mm. and obviously, you know, to get it in on time. Cool. So did you want to be a fashion designer? Did you study fashion Absolutely. design? Yeah, absolutely. So I started off, um, I think I was in year 12 and I guess I just really wanted, fashion was what it was all about. Um, you know, I just mm. lived and breathed fashion and and shopping. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, you could just be a buyer because they just go on trips and they just get to <laughs> shop all day. And I was like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. What? Like, I love <laughs> that for me. And, um, you know, going through VCE, I didn't do any arts kind of based subjects. Mm -hmm. I did like legal studies and psychology mm -hmm. and maths. And, you know, they certainly didn't lean towards the, the creative side of things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I, um, I started doing fashion illustration at RMIT and really loved sketching and drawing. Yeah. Then I went to uh, Box Hill yeah. Institute. And I think I got about eight months in and I was like, I just want to work. Like, I just want to get out into yeah. the industry. There were certain things I really loved. Like, I loved the creative side, but I definitely did not like pattern making. Um, it kind of, yeah, it it was um, it was definitely not a strength of mine. So I remember my first role I applied for was a production assistant with Joseph Saba. 
And I literally just thought I'd won the lottery and I used to like count buttons and like I used to (laughs) like, uh, what else would I do? I would like fax the the knitwear specs to to Hong Kong and I would go and get everyone's lunches. (laughs) Yeah, back in the day. And I would like do do the wholesale books and you know yeah. cut swatches and you know I think I used to work in a store on a Sunday and I just thought I was so fabulous I loved it <laughs> did you know what production was though like when you applied no not ideally um I guess I didn't really I think back then you know you have this idea of being a designer but mm. back in the day design roles were really hard to get and it was very Mm. hard to actually be in a business and for them to say, yeah, you are the designer. I know, you know, that was so hard. So you would obviously do, um, you know, you would do things that came into development and design. I remember I used to like the pattern makers would come in because we made locally and Mm. we would give them our pattern changes. Then, you know, they would take the patterns out, they would come back, we would send you know, out to Collingwood, we'd get the sample made, we'd fit it. So there were little nuances, but we never really had these, I guess, big production systems. They were, it was very, very basic. Like okay. we'd have yeah. a cost sheet and you'd be like, okay, that blazer's costed with six buttons, four labels, this, and you would literally allocate those trends to that supplier for that order. Um, wow. You know, back then we didn't, I'm really showing my age, aren't I? We didn't have Excel <laughs> um, and, you know, there were there were internal systems, but they certainly weren't as advanced and kind of are, set and forget as they are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like so many people, like, I don't know, I feel like production and merchandise planning and those sorts of things are roles that are not necessarily known as well as, um you know, that whole traditional thing of like, I'm going to go study fashion and then I'm going to be a buyer or a designer. Like those creative roles seem to be the pull in. And then, you know, obviously they, I think a lot of graduates realise how competitive the market is, right? And so then they're like, okay, where else? And so that's kind of how I think a lot of them end up in production or planning or um, allocating or somewhere around there. And then they're like, oh, actually, I'm really good at this. But yeah, I mean, I think now it was so interesting what you said before about how you didn't study any creative subjects, because I feel like that's actually something that we talk about a lot is like that the school system is quite flawed and that um, it's, you know, people are choosing subjects that they're really like naturally interested in or they think that they should have to choose because they think it's going to set them up for like their career pathway before they even know what they want to be. And then they go to go to university and maybe the subjects that they should have chosen, they didn't. Did you have to do any kind of like fill in to be able to go into your role, your courses? Yeah, I took a year off and then I had to submit a folio um to then get into the course okay so it certainly wasn't because I was considered you know at like 20 or you know yeah it must have been 20 a mature age student (laughs) you didn't have to go through those hoops as as much as you would have coming straight out of VCE so um I guess I was kind of lucky in that way because I didn't have that extensive body of like that creative body of work I had yeah my kind of fashion illustration that I do on a Thursday night for three hours at RMIT and that was pretty much it um and you know if I could look back if if I think about it now I guess you know it didn't really work against me because I was so eager just to get industry experience 
Mm, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when you go straight from school into uni, you're quite okay with the studying and the method. But I think because I'd had some time off, like I was like, I'd been working in retail, you mm. know, um, I was like around it. I had like a genuine interest. Um, you know, I was like, all, back then there was no WGSN or like, or, um, you know, websites. We were, we were like buying $90 fashion mags with the catwalk pictures in them that you would just kind of like, die for yeah Um, so yeah you're you're immersing yourself in that way so I think you know I think possibly like my really my my passion for it really shone as opposed to my ability in in the creative side yeah um yeah I certainly didn't have a folio that was as strong as you know someone that had probably done you know a lot of arts-based subjects at school yeah and like you talked about compliance of batteries can you talk a little bit more about that like what are you referring to specifically about batteries complying with yeah so um where i'm now we have strict compliance standards so there's there's kind of like um there's standards that they have to that that factories have to meet to be considered safe um Mm to be considered like good to their staff um Mm. people that you i guess factories that you want to align yourself with you know there's there's that you know uh, for years there's been questions around like how old are the staff work uh the Mm. staff working like sweatshops so it's pretty much um making them meet the standards that are fair so it can be you know are there are there exit signs in the factory mm-hmm. are they not working 15 hour days you know not forcing um overtime um do they have a lunch room is it clean mm-hmm. is there first aid all of the things that we kind of take advantage or or take for granted i guess in our yeah. um in 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 our world they're not always like that um you know throughout china and bangladesh so mm-hmm. it's really about um keeping them keeping them accountable because you know we don't we really don't want to, I guess, be buying garments that are made by, you know, made unfairly, whether it be price, whether it be, you know, working for days around the clock, safe Mm. environments, um, Mm. all of those things. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. um, Comes down to as well, um, you know, if they're even like we're at True Alliance with our denim brands, we, the factory has to have compliance if they then use a uh, a laundry. The laundry has to have compliance. If they use an embroidery facility, they have to have compliance too. So oh, it's quite yeah. involved and quite um, expensive at times, but it's definitely it's it's definitely something that that you know our suppliers are happy to do. And we we regularly. Um, we regularly um, audit them. So okay. they get a rating and they get audited like every three to six months, depending on their rating. Um, mm. And then they have to keep that compliance active to work with our brands. So okay. um, yeah, it's really it's really great um, when you find a factory that just kind of goes through it, um, you know, with flying colors because you're, yeah. you're like amazing, you know, we yeah. can really enjoy working together. And then, you know, you might have a factory that's just like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no. there's still there's still quite a few, especially in China, that have a long way to go. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're all we're all making, you know, all making small steps towards those goals of um, yeah. of like, yeah, having having, I guess, a much safer and comfortable um, work environment, you know, for yeah. our production um, partners. Yeah. 
And how, like, so, okay, well, obviously, first of all, why would a brand decide to produce their garments offshore versus local? Like, I think you've worked for both, haven't you? You've done yeah. a bit of both. So what's yeah. the difference and what's the main reasons why someone would take their production offshore? Look, I think people take their production offshore, there's two reasons. So, you know, if you've got a big volume business, mm. um, you take it offshore, you're going to get it quicker, you're going to get mm-hmm. it, um, you're going to get it cheaper Mm. um you know so so they're the main things locally it's slower you know Mm. absolutely offshore um you know in in anywhere overseas the actual skilled labor unfortunately Mm -hmm. is better than in australia we just we we have a shortage of skilled labor um Mm. i think pricing locally is probably 40 to 50 percent more um, so if you're creating product with a really high retail that's quite bespoke um, mm-hmm. and you're actually advertising that it's slow fashion, then absolutely. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think, you know, taking it offshore, you just, if it's, you know, not not every time, don't you know, mm-hmm. but you will get a, a better quality of product faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And of course, that forty to fifty percent extra is going to be passed through into the recommended retail price as well. So, yeah, um, you know, businesses can't afford to absorb those costs themselves. Yeah. So, okay. Right. And you said, like, obviously, you manage the critical path. What is the critical path? Because obviously, <laughs> I'm sure people like apply for design and production roles and they're like, what the hell is a critical path? So, uh, what is a critical path? Why is it so important? And how do you manage it? Okay, so the critical path is pretty much a breakdown of the product's life cycle, every step along the way of of that builds that product that allows it to get delivered on time. Mm-hmm. So you might have, um, you know, a pair of jeans, and the whole critical path might be three months, mm-hmm. and that's from design and concept. Mm-hmm. all the way through to arriving into the warehouse. Yeah. And each part of that might be design, tech pack creation, sending it to the factory, labels getting approved, fit getting mm-hmm. approved, sell day, getting your yeah. marketing samples in. So each point has a um has a date that has to be hit and yeah. it works back from that from that uh, in, into warehouse date. Into so, warehouse yeah, yeah, so it's absolutely essential that every part of that uh, product life cycle or every every little stage that meets that product is accounted for in the critical path mm. because it can blow out your delivery two, three, four weeks if something's missed. Mm. Um, and, you know, things do get missed yeah. <laughs> at times. <laughs> um, happen. Yeah, yeah. And so it even accounts for like how long uh, it takes to get by DHL from the factory into the office and then we fit mm-hmm. it and then the comments get done and then they get sent off. So each each of those points, um, we track it um, in Excel. So mm-hmm. we pretty much put in the timelines, create all the formulas and voila, there it is. Mm. If something doesn't meet the date, then we have to adjust it accordingly. If um, if we're allowing for for a longer time, then mm-hmm. you know, then we've actually accounted for. Then we have to take it out of somewhere else. Yeah, um, right. 
yeah, so it might be that, you know, hey, it's delayed, we're going to air it instead of see it. So that'll save us, you know, yeah. 40 days. Okay. Um, yeah, it might be that, you know, we love our uh, SMS sample that mm -hmm. we've, we've had in the showroom, we're going to approve that straight to bulk. Um, and that'll save us some time and time as well. So there's little tips and tricks that you can get around it. But as long as everything's accounted for, you know, mm. um, it's 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 a lot of planning. Um, but it's absolutely critical um, mm. to the success of a brand is to really have a um, a tight rein on that critical path and and everyone um, and everyone kind of like hitting those milestones uh, mm. to get stocking on time. Mm. And you're talking about negotiating price, like you're talking about like negotiating the price of the garment, talking about negotiating the fabric, or is it all of the above? You're negotiating on everything to get that product made with the best margins possible. Yeah, absolutely. So we work on products. So mm -hmm. right now we um, we pre-book fabric, um, especially um, organic or recycled fabrics. We like to mm -hmm. pre-book the yarn so that we can kind of hold the price for a few months because mm -hmm. obviously organic um, is just so expensive in the market now. Um, then it's even down to like, yeah, the manufacturing, the CMT, so the cut, making, trim cost along okay. with the fabric cost. Um, we don't negotiate on freight because mm -hmm. that's just something you can't do. It'd be great if we could, yeah. but no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, we look at it holistically. So, you know, in some cases, um, you know, it's hard to negotiate when it's a small volume. In yeah. others, you know, we've got, you know, thousands of units, happy mm. days. We can negotiate hard on those. So really swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always great to get a good price, but it's not great to get it if, you know, it means it might be a month delayed. So mm, to get mm -hmm. it in on time, we might like take a few points of margin and then other things that, you know, we can have a little bit later, you know, we'll, we'll really negotiate hard, but then we'll, we'll um, you know, we'll be okay to have it a bit later than expected to get that price. Yeah. So it's really looking at it um, overall as opposed to style by style. Yeah. But it seems like like working in production, like you kind of get a little bit more of like a holistic understanding from the commercial side of the business because you've got to make decisions, right? You've got to make decisions. Yeah. Those decisions have repercussions. It's either a time repercussion or a cost repercussion. Um, when did you feel, when did you start feeling confident enough to like start making those decisions? Because I guess that would be one of the biggest developmental areas for people, right? To start yeah. thinking, okay, I can I can make this decision on behalf of the business. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, you know, when you look at product and you work in design and development, where I have previously, especially in my own business, what you thought the product would look like and what it looks like, it can be quite different how it's ended up. Um, and you can kind of be so emotional and not be able to make a commercial decision because what you thought it would be and and what it what has ended up is quite different. When you kind of get the product done, you have this commercial eye on it because you have no emotion in it. So, yeah. you know, it is kind of like, hey, no one knew what it was going to look like before. No one knew that that's not exactly as you want it. It's commercial. It will sell. Yeah. Um, so it's about making those decisions that are best for the business as well as, you know, getting things in on time. And, yeah, I think I think as soon as I took emotion out of it, I was very, very capable to make those decisions. But it's not something that you're like, hey, I'm ready to do now. It just kind of happens. Yeah. yeah. You just kind of go go dive in and start making them. And yeah. then where 
wear the accountability if it is the wrong decision. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like, um, I guess it's all about, um, you know, assessing the risk, you know. So will anyone know that that shade of pink's not exactly the shade of pink we thought? No. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. Does it work with the other pinks on the rack? Yes. Yeah. You know, would we, if we recut it, it'll come in in another three months and there'll be no pink left for it to sit with on the rack. So it'll look odd. So what do we do? Let's accept it. You know, let's just go for it because all of those things make sense. If it doesn't sell, then that's a different thing. But we assess the risk and we, and we made a calculated choice. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. And you talked about Excel. I know Excel is your best friend, same with like planning. Everyone uses <laughs> Excel. And the funny thing is, is I interview people and they're always like semi embarrassed by how much their company uses Excel. They're like, oh God, like we're a bit old school. We use Excel. And I'm like, everyone uses Excel. Like every single business uses Absolutely. Excel. What other software do you have to know how to use? Look, I think, um, look, Excel is, Excel is the number one. Like, mm. One of my first interview questions for anyone in production is like, can you do a VLOOKUP? Yeah. Can you do a pivot table? And when they're like, when someone says they kind of, you know, they'll be like, yeah, I'm okay. And they'll be like, I actually really love Excel, you know, and they're almost <laughs> scared to say it. And we're all like internally, everyone's high-fiving in the room because we do all love it. Um, but look, there's so many other softwares. I'm just starting um, to look at putting our critical path into Asana, which is okay. great. It's amazing mm. um, for project management. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really great for team members outside of like production to development to designers to be able to communicate and keep a record. So super excited about Asana. Um, There's also we've just started using Google Share Docs, which is amazing. So we put a production schedule into um, our Google Share Docs. And rather than our suppliers sending lengthy emails about what they've dispatched and like where things are, they just chuck it straight in that it's been shipped. It's on the PP samples on the way. Here's the tracking number. Here's the proxy ETA. And then it calculates when we'll have the approval comments to them by. Amazing. So it just updates every day. It's it really takes the admin out of yeah. um out of the team, which is great. And everyone can access it. It's not like I don't I can't get into that, you know, that part of the iDrive or whatever. It's like it's in Google. So yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting too. Yeah, I'm very, very um I'm very pro the team having full visibility across yeah. all areas and not really anyone just, you know, holding holding that all information. information. Yeah. Yeah. What about yeah. P- PLMs? Because some businesses use like a PLM system, right? What's that product lifecycle management? Like yeah. that's just like an actual software, is it? So it does a similar yeah. thing like managing the critical path. Absolutely. So that'll manage the critical path for you and actually alert a PLM or even, you know, uh, three clicks will actually just alert you like, hey, this is due in four days. You need to do it next. Ah. Um, or it's overdue. So everything's kind of green and good to go until it's red. And okay. so it's really great uh, for team members to be able to just go, hey, this is I've got 10 red tasks. So I need to get yeah. them all done today. Okay. Um, so, yeah, as long as the information is accurate in there, then yeah. um then yeah it's a really great a really cost. great um system there's also some really great costing systems um mm-hmm. that can tell you you know how much fabric you're holding how many trims you're holding what's left what mm-hmm. the actual real cost is um mm. which is really exciting but again they're super data driven so yeah and you know as long as all your 
you know, your data is up to date, they're accurate. It's all down to data integrity, isn't it? Always. Absolutely. It actually makes me laugh so much when you were talking about Excel before, because like I ask people those exact same questions, but for the opposite reason, because I find that everyone says they've got intermediate Excel skills. It's so random. And I'm like, actually, if, if people knew what intermediate Excel skills was all about, I'm like, okay, like people, and me included, I used to be like, yeah, intermediate. And I was like, they're like, okay, what can you do? I'm like, data entry. I can put some numbers into that cell. And sometimes <laughs> I can do a wee formula. And they're like, that's beginner. <laughs> That is it's really intermediate. Um, Excel's really amazing because I think like when you get trained, like you can do an Excel course at like a TAFE or you know, yeah. anywhere, right? Or an online, you know, you you get on, you have it, you have a go, and it kind of makes sense, but it doesn't. But it's answered your question, but you haven't, you know, and you've sorted yourself out, but it, you haven't retained it. It's yeah. not until you actually get in there and start using Excel for a couple of months that you're like, oh my god, this is like, it's so good. It's so like, good. I this know. Makes sense. I get it now because you're yeah. applying your day to day to yeah, like the inquiry. I just, yeah, look, I would love to eventually get it, but I don't use formulas enough to really understand it all. <laughs> I think I told you, my one of my old jobs, I had to do a pivot table every Monday and I had the same instructions in the front of my book every day for two years. Read the same instructions every Monday because I could not remember how to do a pivot table. There was yeah, no way. Terrifying. <laughs> terrifying, absolutely. Um, okay, and we can, you might have already touched on some of the skill set that you develop in production, but there's actually so many interesting skills and expertise that you develop. Like, what are the main ones that you think you develop? Like, there's, I mean, there's heaps that you talked about that already came to me, but what, yeah. from your perspective, are the best ones? Yeah, look, I think it's time management. So mm. it's literally understanding, like, that if you've got 300 SKUs, like how do you manage those 300 and how do you keep them all on track? Mm. Um, I think a massive part of production is just supplier relations. So mm. like really understanding the strengths of your supply base and yeah. really playing to those strengths yeah. because as soon as you don't um, or you hit outside, they'll, they will let you down. Mm. Um, a really great, a great thing that I learned uh, many years ago in production and the critical path was like, hey, there's like a million holidays in China. Have you accounted <laughs> for those? <laughs> True. Yeah. Really so, thorough, you know, hey? yeah, yeah Golden Week's so coming thorough. up in October and we kind of lose 10 days. And it's mm. like, why is this moved out? Then there's, you know, Chinese New Year. That so, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, really, really getting your head around um Get around like what planning. what they mean yeah you're you're planning and and really being able to like foresee like hey um you know those holidays are coming up and so we ne we need to like we need to sign off or we need to get orders up you know three weeks earlier to accommodate mm. yes it feels mm. so early but this is why yeah um look there's so many things you know it's it's the it's understanding um you know the time that washing might take embroidery might take transport now in China getting the fabric from the mill to the factory takes longer than it used to yeah um yeah there's just problem solving yeah problem know. solving really understanding like hey you know what can we use what can we do first um yeah. you know hey if you don't if you're if you're waiting for trims to arrive you can still cut and bundle the panels like we can yeah. get started we can stop start um like can we can we um 
cut front panels and get them printed while we cut the balance of panels to save some time. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really, it's really um, having a good relationship with your factory for them to be able to give you a really transparent kind of update of where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like previously it used to be like people just throwing their weight around, right? Like it would be mm. like, so it's like you could be good at production if you can get on the phone and you can scream at someone. But it's like now, <laughs> like, get me my stuff. It's late. We're not paying for it. We're not doing this. Yeah, like, those days are over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that you were ever like that, Kara. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, it is true, right? You've got to, like, you get more uh, bees with honey than vinegar right you've got to know how to like win people over um yeah so we would I mean we've talked about that on the podcast previously like that relationship currency by Mm. building and investing in the relationship you go to the top of the list like the top of the priority list um when things don't go right like if something needs to be fixed then they make you a priority because of the way you've invested in that relationship yeah, and I think it's um I think it's about asking them like if something's delayed, like why is it delayed? What can we do? What's yeah. happened? Let me know the situation. Hey, there's ten delays. I can accept five, but these five I can't. Yeah. What can you do? So it's about just making um having I guess really making your um your factories feel like you're it's it's a relationship. You're in yeah. it together. It's a partnership. You know, yeah. it's not like hey you make it, we crunch you on the price, we'll sting you every time we can to get it on time. It's not about that. It's all about future business, understanding Mm. their nuances, playing to their strengths and really wanting them to want to do work for you and and do better and think about how they can make business better between you. you Yeah, absolutely. Um, And learning each season how, how to better it um mm. yeah I think mm. ideally that's that's what it's all about and helping them to kind of understand or or, or both like where we can find shortcuts in the mm. in the lead times yeah absolutely um and if someone did study design but isn't sure about a career in design like you what yes. are some of the things that they might enjoy in production that they hadn't necessarily been aware of like what are some of the amazing things that you think you would enjoy in production Look, I think as a designer, coming in and working in production really shows you how to design a garment to a price. Yeah. So, you know, as as designers, we all get, uh, we can get very creative and want so many bells and whistles and, you know, a lot of time those designs aren't, aren't kind of carried through to production because they're just not affordable. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you have that knowledge of production, you understand what's expensive. Mm. Um, you know, like one big back panel is more expensive than like a, a sleeve, um, a sleeve and just a back and front panel, you know, but mm-hmm. you can modify your design to understand that. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's ways that um, designers can really learn how to be better designers once they're in production. Mm. Um, I also think, you know, as designers being in production you get a really sound understanding um of supply and fabrics and lead times Mm. which you know I just think it make you uh, more well-rounded you know to really to really understand how fabrics perform where the best fabrics come from you know Mm. um the best silks the best denims the best organic fabrics you know when you're in in um have some production experience you really know like where the areas are for for those um 
for those great yarns and fabrics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's something we didn't talk about. So you guys also source the factories, right, over the world. How do you do that? Like, how do you go out and find relationships with factories? Yeah, that's really interesting because once upon a time it used to be that you would go to trade fairs. Yeah, right. Um, and you would go everywhere um, and there'd be certain areas or certain trade fairs where, you know, you might have all your denim factories, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where they're going to be in Shanghai in, you know, the first half of the year. Um, yeah. Active wear factories, you know, they'd be at a, at a different trade fair. Right now, um, I find a lot of factories on LinkedIn, oh, um, okay. a lot of reaching out. Yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, right now, because of where the world is with fashion, a lot of um, businesses are really comfortable to share their factories online. Yeah. So they'll actually list their factories to to show full transparency. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think right now LinkedIn LinkedIn is probably one of my strongest areas. I get a lot of inquiries each day. Yeah. Um, oh. Then it's just followed up and, you know, we pretty much the first thing we follow up is uh, we have a discussion about what audits they hold to yeah. know if they'll meet our compliance standards and just their MOQs because mm-hmm. their minimum, minimum order quantity, minimum <laughs> order quantity, it's just really, you know, where where you'll see yourself and your businesses align, you know. So if yeah. we're asking for a T-shirt for 300 units, we're not going to ask it for a factory that does T-shirts for 2,000 units because yeah. they'll do it a few times, but it won't deliver long-term business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so factories have a set minimum order quantity that determines the pricing they're able to offer businesses. So it wouldn't make commercial sense for either of you to go with like, if you only needed 300 and they offered 2,000 as a minimum, it's not going to be a long-term partnership. That's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. much lingo in production, isn't there? <laughs> that sure is. A whole other language. <laughs> Um, and if someone is looking to get their role or their foot in the door for their first role in production and they don't have any experience, like what do you look for on their CV? Like obviously make internships ideally, but what kind of attributes or characteristics are you looking for? Um, I love someone that tells me they're organised. So yeah. I was interviewing uh, recently and I had some candidates tell me that like, yeah, I'm super organized. And I'm like, well, how are you organized? Because yeah. I don't know, what. how do you keep organized? And they'll be like, I have a to-do list that I follow every day. I use a Trello board, I'm like tick, yeah. tick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is being organized. It is being able to like ask a question. Don't be shy, you know, no question is a silly question. Um, when you're new um, new uh, into production or into the industry, um, we no one expects you to know everything, but we do expect you to ask questions and just have a curious mind and want to know more and kind mm. of understand the why of yeah. why do we do things. Because the more questions you ask, even though you might feel quite awkward, like the more you'll know and the yeah. more the more you'll be able to apply that knowledge um, mm. to your role. So, yeah, definitely looking for someone that's organised. Just look for someone that's maybe, you know, has a passion, worked in retail. Um, mm. Always look for people that are kind of interested in sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, no, I think, you know, internships are amazing. Um, yeah. And I think they give people, like, they just show, I guess, people that are hiring that they're committed to, to being in a, you know, being to work on time and like mm-hmm. coming in consistently and, you know, internships, even though, um, 
you know, they can not like it might be a design internship for a production role. It's it's still very applicable um, applicable to the role because you know you're still getting across across that state all the stages of um, yeah of the product life cycle. Yeah, and like just getting familiar with the environment and yeah, you know, that which is really important because it's always so different to what people think it's going to be. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And finally, who or what role has had the biggest impact on your career to date? Oh, that's super interesting. Um, look, I think probably when I went to the Just Group, yeah, many moons ago as a supply coordinator for Jackie E, yeah. I kind of when it was my first experience in really big business and it was my yeah. first kind of experience of like really understanding and getting getting this real desire um and to understand where my career path would take me you know yeah and to understand uh that you know you could be a buyer and you know you yeah yes you had an understanding of travel and all of that fun stuff but you got like you got a full understanding of like trade and mm -hmm. conferences and getting samples in on time and working out even like how to like buy size ratios and all of these things that um really really it really set me up without knowing um it gave me so much experience in the kind of mm -hmm. five years I was there and I didn't really even realize that I was getting trained the way that I was but I yeah. think you know definitely if you can have time in a in a big business then definitely go for it and try and work your way up through the ranks because you'll become such a fantastic, well-rounded kind of um, candidate mm. for any role because you understand kind of what happens above and below and you've kind of gone gone through it yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I really, um, yeah, I'm really just so grateful for that time and, you know, for the mentorship that, that my bars used to give me and even my general manager. Mm. Um, yeah, and the opportunity to travel, you know, I did a first first few trips to Hong Kong and to China with that oh, business cool. and it's just, yeah, it was um, it was a good time. Yeah, those were the days, eh? Yeah, those well, were the days you could get on a plane. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, well, thank you. I love chatting to you as always. We've had many, thank many chats you. over the years, but thanks for making it formal and coming on the podcast um, and we'll chat to you again soon. Thanks so much. You just tuned in to another episode of Beyond the Shop Floor podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you got some great insight from today's podcast. Of course, I do work as a private career coach, a career strategist, and a recruitment expert to the fashion industry. But of course, anyone outside of that industry is welcome to join us as well. If you would like to connect with me personally about being a guest on Beyond the Shop Floor podcast or you would like to work with me in some capacity, you can email me at ange at thetalentmill.com.au and that's ange with an E or you can hang out with me on any of the social media platforms. Of course, we love a good little LinkedIn hang um, or you can find me on Instagram at thetalentmill.com. AU or be on the shop floor podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.